Broadcasting from Manhattan Beach and the World Wide Web, you're listening to CHSRHealthyLife.net. As a service to our listeners, this program is for general information and entertainment purposes only. CHSRHealthyLife.net does not recommend, endorse, or object to the views, products, or topics expressed or discussed by show hosts or their guests. We suggest you always consult with your own personal, medical, financial, or legal advisor. along with the academic background and research. So what makes the, the women's dating book unusual is that you have all the insight from those 20,000 men. So you really, as a woman, you really get inside a guy's head as to what makes them want to date you, what makes them call back the next day, and ultimately what makes them propose, and conversely the opposites of all those things. So as a woman reading this, you can see, aha, here's where I've gone off base. If I tweak it a little bit, you know, I will improve my chances of success. That's terrific. So that really is fascinating. It's not just speculating from a psychological perspective. It's really talking to the guys and finding out the, you know, the universal question, why didn't he call back? How come I didn't hear from him? Exactly. So let's start to answer those questions because I'm sure all the women out there listening, and some of whom are posing that very question, I don't understand it. We seem to have had a great time. 
We went out. We had all this in common. He said, I'll speak to you soon, and I never heard from him again. And then the question I get from the women that I work with and, and, and see is very often, should I call him? Should I reach out to him? Should I let him know that I'm interested? So why don't they call back? And then the flip side of it, should the women be calling them? Or is it, you know, if, they, if you haven't heard from them, forget it. The woman should not be calling them. The woman should not be placed in the male role being the aggressor and the pursuer. Now, I want women to be polite. You can call or text the next day and say, it was great to meet you, or thank you, I had a really nice dinner. I'm looking forward to seeing you again. Do it in the feminine feminine way, but don't do it as the aggressor. Don't don't go out and say, well, you know, what are you doing Tuesday? Let's get together Tuesday. Let the guy take the direction and let the guy be the guy. So I would say no. I know a lot of young women today find that they're putting themselves in the aggressor role, but it doesn't work. That's not what turns a guy on. I mean, part of the fun for a guy is to be the chaser. That's, you're taking his fun away. So if you take his fun away, he might not be interested. You know, he'll find a girl that allows him to feel confident and to feel like a man. So don't get in that role. So is it that some, that's a great point, that the, that the men want to kind of run the show as the men are supposed to do in the beginning. It's, it's They take the lead. They lead on the dance floor. And if you step in, you're, you're usurping that role. Is it that sometimes they do just simply want to get off to a slow start, or is it that they meet you, they know they don't want to see you again, and yet they say they'll, they'll call? What's up with that? Why are the women waiting for a call that never comes? Well, with regard to a slow start, I mean, that's our first mistake. Um, you know, I'm a gender differences expert. The two sexes don't operate the same. <laughs> Women, we know very quickly. We know within five to ten minutes whether this is going to work out or not. We're just sharp that way. We're intuitive. We fill in the blanks. We're, we're just, we just have it, you know, have it really quickly. Men are slow. Men take 90 days to come to that same conclusion. Huh. So if a girl is trying to push him and to be get in that masculine role, it's not going to work because that's not his timetable. You want to have the guy, you know, chase the girl. That's how it works best. I, I know it's old school, but really that's how it works best. And after having interviewed the 20,000 men, did I come across men where the women were the aggressors? Yes. Where the women, you know, got their phone numbers? Yes. Were the women, like, proposed to the guy? Yes. I did interview those guys. Guess what? Every single one of those guys cheated on their girl and or got a divorce. Oh, None of them were happy in the marriage. None of them. So you don't want to be that girl. You, you want that guy to be sure that he wants to be with you, not uncertain so that temptation remains active like a volcano that's alive. So why don't, what turns the guys off? Like, like you were saying, the women know, we make up our minds, but why don't the men give it a little bit of a chance? Why do they make up their minds so quickly that, okay, not her, I'm done? And why are they saying, all right, you know, I'll be in touch? The first date is just there. I call it a meet and greet. In fact, I don't even want you to go out to dinner because dinner is kind of too long of a commitment. 
So, you know, I think you should just go out for a drink or maybe a walk or maybe a farmer's market or an ice cream or something that you can do in under one hour. You meet him, you see if you like him, you see if there's a click, and you take it from there. If there is a click, then the second date, by all means, go on a dinner date, go on a longer date. But the first date should just be meet and greet. Mm-hmm. Now, from the from the girl's point of view, too often girls make the mistake of, of telling guys everything under the sun that they need. I want a guy with these 20 qualities. I want to have, you know, marriage and babies. And, you know, it, you just overwhelm the guy. Again, the guys are not that quick. Mm. So from the guy's point of view, um, they just want a girl who is chill and fun. So just be chill and fun because that's what they want. You know, it's pretty obvious that 90% of women want babies and, and marriage. It's pretty obvious. It would be like the same level of obviousness as the guy telling you on the first date, I want sex. Right. Turned off. Right. So he gets turned off when you keep talking about marriage and babies on the first date. We don't even know if we like you. And you're talking about marriage and babies. It makes him feel like a sperm donor. It makes him feel used. It's so, so don't go there. So don't make it like an interview. Don't make it about are you going to be right for the position of a husband for life or partner for life and here's what I'm looking for. Keep it light. Keep it about the things. What makes a great date, according to the, the men and the women that you've interviewed? Is it just clicking, having things in common, talking about topics that you like? Like what, what has made the dates that have worked where the guy said, you know what, I want to see her again? What's been in that equation? Again, I, you know, I reiterate this in the book so many times, but it's just about being fun and chill. Are you easygoing? Are you easy to be around? Would he not be embarrassed to bring you around his friends, his work, his family? You know, just be chill. Just be like a cool girl. And, you know, we will get to the relationship and the babies and all that stuff at a later point in time. You don't need to, you know, avalanche him on day one and sabotage him on day one. So those are the girls that get through. Those are the girls that are getting the call back. And those are the girls that he might see you in a more of a relationship kind of way rather than you're just a one-night stand or you're just going to be a baby mama. Um, you don't want to be in that category. You want some. You want him to so you know pursue you and want to be with you to the point that he wants to propose quickly because he's afraid that other guys are going to you know swoop you up and take take you away. So that's the kind of you know power position I want the women to be in. And it doesn't take all that much. It's very easy to do. You just have to get the timing of it, you know, down. So let me ask you a question then. If if you're saying, you know, be light, be chill, be fun, like you were saying before, what what woman doesn't want to get married per se and have a baby? That's kind of the obvious, like what man's not going to want to have sex? But most women would not think, or the girls when they're going out, they're not, wouldn't think of their behavior in any way, shape, or form as being embarrassing, that they're saying or doing something that would embarrass this guy and make him hesitant or reluctant to see her again, let alone take her to meet his friends or family. What are some of the things that you've been told by the men that, oh, my God, I was so embarrassed, I couldn't believe she said, comma, I couldn't believe she did. What are things that, that the women are not even aware, perhaps, that they're doing, which is alienating and driving the guys away from them? 
Well, are you good enough to, you know, bring home the mom, so to speak? You know, perhaps it's because you wore inappropriate clothing. Mm. Perhaps you had a foul mouth. You know, I mean, everybody loves a good joke. Everybody loves a good off-color joke. But are you doing it in, the, in an appropriate situation? If you're not, then he's not going to extend you to his world. Mm-hmm. So he wants to look good. So if you're going out of your way to make him look bad, guess what? You're going to get cut out of his life. Interesting. So if you want, he wants his other, he wants to stick his chest out when he brings you around like, wow, that Scott, he's really got it going on and he really picked a good one. Mm-hmm. That, he wants to put his chest out. Mm-hmm. So be that girl. Mm-hmm. So be aware of how you're dressing, where you're going. Make sure you're dressing appropriately for the occasion, for the, you know, for the event. Um, know your audience. Don't just be cursing if this is, you know, if that's not something that he's doing or, or talking, you know, sort of uh, foul mouth. Don't just put it out on the table. Exactly. Exactly. Know the setting. Know what the environment is. I, I you know, I remember when I was single and I was going on dates. One time I was invited to a business meeting and my boyfriend at the time was trying to win over this very big client. And guess what? I was I was well read, I was well versed, and I fit in like the business client as if we were married for twenty years. <laughs> I spoke the business client's language and guess what? I ended up winning him the client. Oh, that's I mean, a riot. This was like a you know, it was like a hundred thousand dollar sale. I ended up winning him the sale. You better believe he's calling me the next day. In fact he like bought me an extravagant gift the next day. So you want to be that girl that you're impressing whoever he brings you around. They're going, oh, my gosh, that shows really well, or, you know, whatever his name is. Right. But, um, yeah, you want to be, you want to make him proud. Right. You want, you, you want to make him look good, not look bad. Right, right. And so that's what you want to keep in mind in terms of your appearance, in terms of what you do. Now, do women sometimes not just talk about their future desires and plans and dreams? Do they talk about past relationships too much? What, how do you counsel people and guide them? You know, if somebody's come out of a bad relationship or they're afraid of, of you know, being betrayed again, do you encourage them to talk about their previous relationships and, and share that? Or, you know, keep it a little bit more under the cuff? How do you deal with that? I do encourage people to share about that because that is an important aspect of your life. But then again, remember timing and remember how much you're saying. So maybe the first time it comes up, maybe only spend five minutes on it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not going to be a four-hour conversation. A four-hour conversation, you're going to, the girl is going to go home and think, oh, wow, I have so much in common, and, and, you know, Joe over here was such a good listener, and he helped me with this, that, and the other. But from his end, guess what you've done? You've put him in the friend zone. Mm-hmm. By talking about your ex, it means my ex is more important than you are. Mm-hmm. Talking about what was... my present. You're in front of me. You're a potential person I want to date, but yet I spent four hours talking about my ex. Mm-hmm. No, don't do that. I mean, unless you don't want to call the next day, mm-hmm. don't do that. Mm-hmm. So if it comes up, spend five minutes the first time, you know, and then let a week go by, and if it comes up again, okay, so maybe you can stretch to like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. But under no circumstances should you be talking 
hours on end, you know, regarding the ex-boyfriend because it means that your focus is not on the here and now, your focus is not on him, and it means that the other guy is more important than he is. What kind of flavor does he get out of that? Right. It's not, it's not a warm and fuzzy feeling. Have the men complained about that? Have they said, you know, could you believe she spent all this time talking about her ex? Like, what, you know, what would make her think I'm interested? They, they do complain about it, and they feel like you're going to somehow wrongly take it out on the new guy, What whatever injustice happened with the old guy. Mm -hmm. It puts them in a very awkward place. And, you know, men like to solve problems. So when you put him in that kind of position, he now becomes your psychologist or problem solver rather mm -hmm. than a love interest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Again, it's not a feeling that guys like to have. Right, and and nobody wants to feel that they're being used to take care of the other person. They want to feel that the other person is interested in them and wants to get to know them. So what you're saying makes such great sense. Use the time to get to know the other person, not to get the other person to make you feel better. Right. And men, by the way, men do like to take care of women. They do like to do that. It's part, it's part of a masculine energy that makes them feel strong and confident and powerful, but don't abuse that by talking about your, your ex, you know, your ex. Mm-hmm. So, um, do the men go there as well? Are they quick to bring up their, you know, their past relationships in, in the men that you've spoken with and have dealt with? Do they find that they, in fact, want to be talking about past relationships? Men do go there. I think they go there probably because the, the new woman is prodding them to do so. On their own, privately, they don't like to talk about this. And the reason why they don't is because men equate everything um, linearly, meaning they see it as right or wrong. Mm -hmm. and, and to them, a failed relationship, regardless of whose fault it was or who caused the demise, they see it as a personal failure. Mm -hmm. Like, I failed over here. Mm -hmm. I was made wrong. And that's, again, a feeling that men don't like to embrace. They don't want to be wrong. They want, they want just the opposite. They want to feel powerful and confident in that they've made correct and right choices in their life. Mm -hmm. so to talk about a failed venture is not something that's easy for a guy, nor does it make him feel good. Are there topics that are guaranteed to help you come across as lighthearted, fun, um, that will help you re-engage, you know, and, and wind up getting asked out again that the men like to talk about, that the women, are there safe topics, I guess, that are not just safe but solid? It's not so much the conversation, although that's part of it. It's more of like your demeanor. So if he's inviting you over to football and he's watching, you know, his favorite team, uh, you know, that Sunday afternoon or whatever with his buddies, if they're all, like, sitting back having hamburgers and beers or whatever, he expects you to be chill and, like, you know, go, go with the flow. If you really hate football, you know, kind of eat or keep that to yourself or don't be invited to that date. There, immerse yourself in what's going on. If you don't understand football or you don't relate to it, maybe you can hang out with the other girls there. But certainly don't stand in front of the TV during an important play. You know, don't come and ask them a question during, you know, whatever announcement is being made. You know, that kind of stuff, you know, guys hate. It would be like if, 
example, if a guy were to walk in on one of our girls' shows and start talking right in the middle of a plot change, <laughs> like that either. Well, speaking <laughs> of a plot change, we're going to change to a commercial. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute at the Let's Talk Sex Show at HealthyLife.net. March 6, 2004, Tom Pierce, his wife Joanne, and his daughter Lisa were on the water taxi that overturned in Baltimore's Inner Harbor. Tom survived, however, his wife Joanne and daughter Lisa did not. Tom's book, The Last Rose, is about the first year of Tom's life after the accident and the many signs that helped him through it. Tom talks about the accident, but it's not a book about the accident. It's about the power of love, love as we know it and understand it, and love that goes beyond our understanding. It won a Next Generation Indie Book Award for the Best Inspirational Book. And you can learn more about the book and find links to purchase the book on Tom's website, www.thelastrose.com. It's available in hardcover, Kindle, and Nook editions. The Last Rose may be the perfect book for anyone who has experienced the loss of a loved one. That's www.thelastrose.com. www.thelastrose.com. What about me? How to Stop Selfishness from Ruining a Relationship. It's the brand new book from Dr. Jane Greer. With 25 years of relationship counseling, Dr. Jane Greer has heard the same questions and seen the same patterns about selfishness in relationships. From wondering if you're living with the most selfish person alive to wondering if you are the one with the selfish tendencies, Dr. Jane Greer will help you see an option to the never-ending fight. Stop the guilty pressure of selfish sex and other actions and pressure to do everything to reprove your love in the relationship. Vanessa Williams, the actress, says Dr. Jane Greer's book, What About Me, is a must-read. This book is both insightful and empowering. You, too, can end the selfish game and move from me to we. Find out more about Dr. Jane at drjanegreer.com. Also, find What About Me on Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com, Sourcebooks.com, independent bookstores, and any place else books are sold. Karma. Good karma. Good Karma means the Good Karma Collection, a jewelry line embraced by some of Hollywood's biggest names and featured as a style-setting piece in People's Magazine. The Good Karma Collection is a timeless, stylish gift for teens, men, women, anyone. A unique collection of sterling silver jewelry, all designed to promote good wishes and good karma. A percentage of profits is donated to cancer-related charities across the USA. Check out the engraved Chinese characters representing positive energy, harmony, success, or their bestseller, a sterling silver pendant on a silver ball chain. Affordable, beautiful, and good karma. Found at Zero Minus Plus Boutique at Fred Siegel in Santa Monica, California, or call 310-395-5718. That's 310-395-5718. All positive talk with a mature edge. HealthyLife.net. HealthyLife.net. I'm talking with my guest, author Linda Gross. You can find more from her on Twitter at DT4M or her website, www.themensadvocate.com, which is terrific. So advocating for the men, what we were talking at the top of the show, why do they leave the impression that you'll hear from them 
and then the women are left hanging. They don't hear, and they're not understanding, where did I go wrong? What did I do wrong? Did I say something wrong? It's, it's, it's this cloud of, huh? What just happened? If they, they don't even give a, a hint that, you know, even if they were to say something like, well, this was okay, or this was nice, or thanks for the night, without any overture to tomorrow, the next day, anything, I think the women could handle that much more readily than the notion that, ah, we clicked, we connected, I liked him, he liked me, we'll go out this weekend, and then, you know, there's a Houdini happening. Right. I'm a person who loves honesty, and I would much rather, like, know up front that it wasn't going to work than to be strung along. Trust me, I've, I've walked in those shoes, and I find it very aggravating when the guy says one thing and then he never, like, follows through, he never calls back. I think it's, it's one of two things. I think it's either because the guy thinks that the girl can't handle it, if he, if he says the truth, that she'll start a fight with him, and the last thing he wants to do is to engage in a conversation, especially a fight and to be put in a defensive role. So I think he just says, you know, check us in the mail or have a nice day. It's one of those throwaway lines that you don't really mean just to get her off the phone or just to, you know, just to get her out out from under the date. So that's part of it. The other part of it is, um, you know, what guys call bigger, better deal, that maybe there was, maybe had nothing to do with you, but there was another woman that he was also pursuing maybe at the same time, and that person came through, so his oh, that's interesting. This other, to this other girl, and rather than coming back to you to say, oh, well, you know, the, work, the girl that I've been pursuing for three weeks finally came through, so you're kicked out to number two, you know, I don't know. So I think that's what they say. And then thirdly, um, you know, some guys play it like you're on rotation, you know, like almost like a pitcher's rotation kind of thing to where, yeah, you know, I might not call her back the next day, but if I have nothing to do, you know, three weeks from now, maybe I'll call her three weeks from now. Mm. So, again, none of these positions do you want to be in. And the way that I would counter that as being a female is have a life. Mm. Have a life. Have things going on. Be, like, so busy that you don't even notice that he didn't call back. Mm-hmm. You know, have and date multiple people. I know women don't easily get into that mindset. I'm not saying have to have sex with all these guys, but don't date multiple people at a time. So that way, if one and two doesn't call back, three, four, and five do call back, and that's, that's where your focus should lie. Well, that, that's a great tip, Linda, though, but women do not tend to think like that, do they? Date multiple people. They're, they tend to be much more, I met a guy, I'm going to date this guy, and not thinking in terms of keep your options open, go out with a number of guys, and, and, and then they start to feel guilty that somehow they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. Yeah, but we have, we have to, like, learn, you know, learn a new game with that because if you were going for a job interview and let's say you really didn't like your job for whatever reason, you wouldn't just give out one resume or go on one interview, you'd probably be sending out 20, uh, you know, resumes and going on four or five interviews or as many as you could get your hands on. And for the same logic, you know, um, confidence is power, that when you have more people calling you, you have more activity, then you can kind of pick and choose who you want to go out with and you're in a, you're in a much more desirable position because you feel happy and healthy and then the guy that you're going out with, they notice that you have that, you know, air of not 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 a cocky way, but that air of confidence, like a quiet. You're you're like at peace with your with yourself, and you know, if you can call back the next day, oh well, you know, I have other choices. 
So it's like anything. People want what they can't have. So if you're more desirable, if you're more in demand, probably that's the kind of girl that they're going to call back because they want to be at the top of your list. Absolutely. So there's something to be said for good old basic healthy competition. And I love what you're saying because it's really cast a wide net. Think of it as opportunity, not, oh, I have to date a lot of people because nobody wants to be with me or I don't like anyone in particular, but rather opportunity to get a, a more specific fit and sync up with somebody that really is going to be who you're looking for because you don't have to just settle from dating one person, that you have options and you have choices. Exactly. It makes you more desirable and more attractive, and who doesn't want to be that? You said it. <laughs> no question about it. So before we run out of time, let me just ask you the, the quintessential question that for both women and men, what's the first red flag for a woman when she's dating a guy, and what's the first red flag for a guy? Red flagging in what way? Whether this person's going to work out with you? Or? Yeah, that if you're dating this person, what's a red flag that this is mm, this is not going to go forward, this is not somebody you want to keep dating? We have, as women, we have this wonderful thing called intuition or gut reaction. And when I was uh, single, probably the, the single most thing I had to um, hurdle over was, you know, the guy would tell you that they're single and really they're married. So if you get kind of a gut reaction that something doesn't seem right or fit right, follow your intuition because it's probably right. So, yeah, I would say that that's a big red flag. And you can't straight out come out and ask them, are you married, because they're all going to lie. The married ones are there for a reason, and they're all going to lie and say, oh, yeah, I'm single, when really they're not. So I had to find very creative ways to figure out if indeed they were single or married and just snuff them out. So I, I would say, yeah, go listen to your gut. A lot of times as women, you know, we tell ourselves, oh, something doesn't feel right or maybe it's something we did or maybe it's something we said. And then we stuff that feeling and we get past it thinking, oh, well, this is not really that important and I'm just going to end up dating this guy for six months, when really on date one or two, something hits you wrong and you knew it was wrong and you, you swallowed it. Don't do that. Like, follow that intuition because usually you're right. That's terrific advice. And a lot of times people will doubt that intuition and say, Nah, I'm making too much of it, or I'm probably being too critical, or I'm being too hard. And especially, shouldn't I give him the benefit of the doubt? Shouldn't I give him a second chance? Do you hear that a lot? I do hear that a lot. And I, I personally was swayed myself by friends and family with a particular guy that I chose. And I, I, and I didn't did end up squashing that feeling, and it turned out that I was right all along. So at some point, you know, your friends and family, even though they, they act like they, they have your best interest at heart, maybe they don't. Maybe they're jealous that you're dating this guy, or maybe they feel jealous that, you know, you found somebody and they didn't. Like, it could be a million and one reasons why the friends and family are giving you the advice that they're giving you. But it's your life. Like, right. the friends and family don't have to live with this guy. Right. So this is terrific advice for everybody out there listening. Trust your gut. Even if your family, friends are well-intentioned, they don't know what you know. It's You're your best guide. You're your best uh, 
um, barometer of what's going to be good for you or not. Linda, thank you so much for such a fascinating conversation on dating and joining us here today. Thank you. And they can join my radio show as well. Go to the Facebook fan page, The Men's Advocate Show with Linda Gross. And I talk about all these kinds of issues, sex, dating, relationship, women, divorces, marriages, all all these things. Terrific. Well, thank you again. Listeners, follow Linda as well on Twitter at DT4M or her website, www.thebensadvocate.com. And when we come back, Rebecca Rosenblatt, a.k.a. Dr. Date, our resident from Canada, sex expert, will be joining us. Stay with us. We're at the Let's Talk Sex Show here at HealthyLife.net. What about me? How to Stop Selfishness from Ruining Your Relationship. It's the brand new book from Dr. Jane Greer. With 25 years of relationship counseling, Dr. Jane Greer has heard the same questions and seen the same patterns about selfishness in relationships. From wondering if you're living with the most selfish person alive to wondering if you are the one with the selfish tendencies, Dr. Jane Greer will help you see an option to the never-ending fight. Stop the guilty pressure of selfish sex and other actions and pressure to do everything to reprove your love in the relationship. Vanessa Williams, the actress, says Dr. Jane Greer's book, What About Me, is a must-read. This book is both insightful and empowering. You, too, can end the selfish game and move from me to we. Find out more about Dr. Jane at drjanegreer.com. Also, find What About Me on Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com, SourceBooks.com, independent bookstores, and any place else books are sold. Music, information, and friends. HealthyLife.net Welcome back to the Let's Talk Sex Show. I'm Dr. Jean Greer, and my next guest... Excuse me, I'm so excited to have her back on the show that I choked on my water. Rebecca Rosenblatt, a.k.a. Dr. Date, she's here for our segment, Opening Closed Doors. She's the host of Sex at Eleven, author of Seducing Your Man, and her newest book, Sexual Power, You Got It, Now Use It, is a life Bible geared toward building self-esteem, taking control of your life, and living life on your own terms. Rebecca is also the resident expert at drdate.com, and together we talk about what's happening behind closed doors in the United States, in Canada, and in your bedroom. Thank you for being back here on the show. It's absolutely a delight to have you here. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much. I always look forward to it. So, well, we certainly do, and we've got some listener questions right from the mailbag that have been holding on and waiting for you to get back so we could jump into this. So I'm going to start right off with one of the questions is, my husband was depressed, and we were really not getting along in our marriage. What used to be a loving, caring environment is now a battlefield of regrets, arguing, fights, and heavy financial burdens, and it really tore us apart. Now it's been almost a month since I've heard from him. Should I stay in the marriage and try to make him love me? So that's part of the question. And, (coughs) excuse me, really the, the, the underscoring that, the question becomes, how do you know, what are the signs that a marriage is failing? And as this woman uh, is writing, how do you know if there are signs and indicators that it can be repaired or 
no, it, you know, you, you're, you're past the point of damage control. It really is time to move on. So let's hear what some of your thoughts are on this. Well, first of all, we can't make anyone love us. So no matter what she does, she can't make him love uh, make him love her. Secondly, when we're depressed, our brain looks as if we're breaking up. It looks similar to cocaine withdrawal or what our brain looks like when we're breaking up. It can really fool the person into thinking they no longer love their partner. And if you feel that way, I'm sure that he's not responding to her in a way that a partner should. It's got to be devastating for her. And really, um, depression becomes like a third party and, and a very toxic third party, not blaming anyone for having it, but it is very challenging to, to give herself, first of all, permission to take care of herself, to know her boundaries and not feel bad about it. As women, you know, we're taught when someone is ill, you know, you don't abandon them, you put their needs ahead of you. I'm not uh, uh, suggesting that she abandon him. That, I mean, that's going to have to be uh, a whole different decision, but she doesn't have to put his needs ahead of her own because she needs to secure her own oxygen like we get on the plane, this is secure your own oxygen mask before you even help your kids, not before you help other passengers. Mm-hmm. She has to give herself permission for self-care and see what feels good for her. And unless he is willingly in treatment, mm-hmm. um, she really has no obligation to stay with him. But if he is in treatment and he isn't getting better, then that's a whole different story where she can support him while he's in treatment. But she still may need to, to take uh, a break for herself to recoup. But if he's not in treatment, then no, uh, it's totally out of her hands, and she isn't obliged to to put up with that. Because sometimes people will do that because they know the partner won't leave. The marriage is bad. If I'm sick, they won't leave me. I'm not suggesting that's what's happening, but can. Right. And, and also the flip side, because perhaps what may be going on for her, too, is just not only the feeling, the sense of responsibility and obligation, but maybe the fear of being left that, that she's not ready to let one of the things is that in in, uh, in North American culture we feel that something has to be all good or all bad mm. uh, something has to be all and something has to be all good for us to commit. Whereas in reality, you and I both know that it's never all good or all bad. So even when people divorce, there will be good things about the relationship that they miss, but they realize that there's more um, toxic situations and unhealthy situations than they are healthy. Um, So giving herself the permission that, you know, it doesn't have to be all bad. When women say to me, I wish he'd have an affair or hit me or something, I go, that's terrible. They say, but then I'll have clarity. I can leave him. You never want to wait for something that tragic to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly right. And so it's it's really a question of taking a look at how long the resentment has been building, how big the the you know, the gap is between you and your partner. And you were saying earlier, which is, is very true, would he go for help? But it's not only would he go for help on his own, I think also would he go for help with her to see, you know, if in fact the marriage if there's any hope because you're so right. You can't make somebody love you, but yet when people are angry at one another, they disconnect from their loving feelings. And so sometimes, even if there's a lot of resentment or, you know, conflicts or unresolved issues between you, if you go as a couple for counseling and work out and talk through and, and problem solve some of the anger so that it dissipates enough there are times when you can reconnect and start to feel the loving feelings again. And that, that's really important. You know, a lot of times couples will come in and say to me, you know, can this marriage be saved? And I'll say to them, well, let's do the work. If we can get through some of the anger that you're feeling and 
see if some of the old loving feelings come back that you can reconnect to. Sometimes, you know, the love is dead. It's so piled under so much resentment and so much, you know, uh, criticism and animosity that there's there's no resolving and, and it really is time to move on. But certainly, you you if both people are willing to do the work, there is a chance for for marital repair. Absolutely, and that's just it. If both people are willing to do the work, then you can repair the disconnect, and from that, love can stem from it. Um, so rather than worry about can I get him to to love me, let's let's do all the work. So at least if we do split up, it's not for lack of time. Let's do the work and get to a place where the disconnect uh, is repaired. Because even if you do go your separate ways. It's very important not to part on such acrimonious terms, especially, you know, if there's children involved. But it, you're absolutely right. Do all the work to see how far you can get, and maybe you can repair the disconnect, and love can come out of that. I always say to people that the way you know whether or not something is healthy is if you're engaging in unhealthy behaviors. So whether it's an addiction or a relationship or something else going on, if you're engaging in unhealthy behaviors, that means it's not healthy for you. But if you're, by and large, engaging is healthy behaviors and going to therapy is a very healthy behavior, then that means that this thing could be healthy. That's absolutely true. It's great advice. It's great. Uh, it's a great direction to move in. What about, though, for the couples who move in the direction, try and work things out either with a counselor, try and work things out with themselves, decide, Meh. I don't think we can get through it. Would like to, but just if the problems just are unrelenting. They can't get past them. The anger keeps spilling over. And so one of them says, all right, that's it. Let's get divorced. Or the other, now they both agree to get divorced. What's, what's the best strategy for coping with divorce if that's what it's going to come down to? How do you guide people and counsel couples to, you know, to, to address divorce and proceed with it? I always say that it's very important not to part on acrimonious terms. Yes, you're right. Sometimes you have to part and there's nothing else that can be done. But we build a life together. We don't live a relationship. We both live a life. So there's bound to be, you know, children, assets, maybe business. There's all kinds of stuff. So you are going to be connected, like or not, in many ways. So how can we best manage so that we don't, we've decided we have to part ways because we can't get along, we can't be together, but there comes a time when you do have to let go of the resentment, and that's the whole point. We're going our separate ways because the resentment has built up too much, but since we're going our separate ways, it's about a clean break. It's about a fresh new start. So not to be bogged down in the anger, that's why you're trying to dissolve it, but not to let that anger take on a bigger life. It's not a time for revenge. It's a time for uh, moving your separate ways and becoming healthy people. And as long as that and resentment is there, you can't do that. I love what you just said. It's not a time for revenge. It's a time for moving on. On that note, we're going to move on to a commercial. Stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute at the Let's Talk Sex Show here at HealthyLife.net. What about me? How to Stop Selfishness from Ruining Your Relationship. It's the brand new book from Dr. Jane Greer. With 25 years of relationship counseling, Dr. Jane Greer has heard the same questions and seen the same patterns about selfishness in relationships. From wondering if you're living with the most selfish person alive to wondering if you are the one with the selfish tendencies, Dr. Jane Greer will help you see an option to the never-ending fight. Stop the guilty pressure of selfish sex and other actions 
and pressure to do everything to reprove your love in the relationship. Vanessa Williams, the actress, says Dr. Jane Greer's book, What About Me, is a must-read. This book is both insightful and empowering. You, too, can end the selfish game and move from me to we. Find out more about Dr. Jane at drjanegreer.com. Also find What About Me on Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com, Sourcebooks.com, independent bookstores, and any place else books are sold. On March 6, 2004, Tom Pierce, his wife Joanne, and his daughter Lisa were on the water taxi that overturned in Baltimore's Inner Harbor. Tom survived, however, his wife Joanne and daughter Lisa did not. Tom's book, The Last Rose, is about the first year of Tom's life after the accident and the many signs that helped him through it. Tom talks about the accident, but it's not a book about the accident. It's about the power of love, love as we know it and understand it, and love that goes beyond our understanding. It won a Next Generation Indie Book Award for the best inspirational book. And you can learn more about the book and find links to purchase the book on Tom's website, www.thelastrose.com. It's available in hardcover, Kindle, and Nook editions. The Last Rose may be the perfect book for anyone who has experienced the loss of a loved one. That's www.thelastrose.com. www.thelastrose.com. Dr. Doris Day is a board-certified dermatologist who specializes in laser, cosmetic, and surgical dermatology on the Upper East Side in New York City. Dr. Day believes in looking your best at any age with the most conservative, personalized, and gentle approach. Day Dermatology and Aesthetics is located at 135 East 71st Street. For more information about Dr. Day's new product line, visit our website at www.myclearskin.com or by calling 212-772-0740. Find out more about Dr. Day and her products like Light and Bright Pads, Facial Silk Sunscreen, and Calming Sea Gel. That's www.myclearskin.com or 212-772-0740. Feel and look beautiful. You deserve it. That's Dr. Doris Day at 212-772-0740. You're listening to CHSR Real Radio on the web. Welcome back to the Let's Talk Sex Show at HealthyLife.net. My guest is Rebecca Rosenblatt, a.k.a. Dr. Date. You can find more from her on Twitter at Talk with Rebecca or her website, www.drdate.com. Now, let's talk about sex. This is the Let's Talk Sex Show, and certainly one of the things that can contribute to two unhappy people in a marriage and one person saying, this is it, it's over, I'm not happy, I want out, or actually moving out by moving into an outside relationship, uh, you know, while still being in the marriage. Sex. How often does it happen where desire just dips and, you know, one person's unhappy sexually and the other person's okay with it? Or, Mm -hmm. you know, one person's unhappy and the other person's unhappy. What do you tend to see? Well, uh, I mean, there's a natural ebb and flow to our sexual relationship with our partner as well as our own desire. Libido can go up, it can go down. Uh, And uh, I always ask couples, what's different now? And often it's about stress. 
and if we are stressed, the testosterone plummets, which means there goes the libido. And for men uh, and women, our blood vessels constrict because they're getting us ready for fight, flight, or free. It's not a it's emergency mode, not the time to have sex. And when that happens, men are just not going to get erections. Or if they get an erection, the uh, ability to maintain it is severely diminished when cortisol is high because of stress and anxiety. So I always say, what's going on? And they also say, well, it's been stressful. So the first thing is not to personalize it. Mm-hmm. If we, it's very easy to say, my partner doesn't want sex with me. That means they don't want me. Your partner just doesn't right. want sex. That's all. And don't, that's a huge leap to think that they don't want sex with me. And then just to kind of try and say, you know what, I miss us connecting. Is something going on? What can I do? How can I support you? Instead of putting someone on the spot, just I miss us connecting and trying to kind of go on a bit of a fact-finding mission to see is there stress, is there resentment, is there unfinished business, what is going on? And more often than not, when couples do that, they can find out that it's something else. It's not the party that's worried or that's feeling rejected. But if it is more than that, then you have to do exciting things together outside the bedroom because the brain can be fooled into thinking, hey, we're in that dating phase. Being with this person is exciting. And then the brain can bring that excitement to the bedroom. But I'm talking about really fun stuff where you start to associate the other person with excitement, not bills and chores and disappointments. Such as, that's just, first of all, this is such great advice because so many times people get into the loop of chores and responsibilities or say, you know, we don't have time or we're not going to be able to. So really, the, the best route is to dial it back, go back to basics, go back to the beginning, plan time together, schedule a date, go out on a date, get excited, and do you suggest couples do the things they first did when they were getting to know each other or go to an activity that they both like? What's, what's a great date to strike up the band and get the you know, testosterone and, and juices flowing, so to speak? So anything, even something that's frightening, anything that produces adrenaline, so whether you're seeing a scary movie or you're going in a roller coaster ride or something, anything that produces adrenaline, whether it's good adrenaline, that doesn't matter, it gets the body kind of going. And that's when people go to a scary movie afterwards, they can kind of feel amorous. Mm-hmm. But in terms of what should we do, uh, it's more about how we did it in the beginning. We spent time. We scheduled things in. We planned ahead. We looked forward to it. We dressed mm-hmm. up for each other. We didn't take each other for granted. First date, you're not going to sit there talking uh, on, your, uh, on your phone or texting or reading the paper or whatever or on your iPod, any of those gadgets. You're not going to do that. You're paying attention. So it's not even what, what kind of activity you plan because your interests may have changed. But it's how attentive are you to the other person. And that's what it boils down to, being really attentive, being really present. And, um, uh, you know, planning, like you said, schedule it in, schedule the date night, because it's not going to happen. Our lives are way too busy for that to just kind of fall into place. So the idea right. is something high adrenaline, really spending time, and you don't get dressed up. If you need to mm-hmm. role play, pretend you're meeting each other for the first time at a bar, whatever rocks your boat. But the idea is um, just kind of uh, be invested in it more so than what we do when we've been together for a while and we start to take each other for granted. You know, this is such great advice, and, and I know I've, I've heard from the men complaining just the small things, like if the women shave their legs or under their arms, that that is really meaningful to some of the guys. That mm-hmm. what, I love what you're saying about pay attention because 
the truth is, is that paying attention is the way we communicate to the other person, you're important, you matter to me, you're the most important thing right now in my world, in my life, you are what matters. And so often people don't realize just pulling out their phone or texting is not that undivided attention. You hear it with little kids, mommy, mommy, mommy. They'll say your name six or seven times to get you off the phone and focused on them. And that focus, that regard, that message that you're important to me makes all the difference in the world. And, you know, we tend to think that spicing up sex is about dressing up. Yeah, that's important, but if you want to spice sex up, spice up your attention, your focus, exactly what you're saying. Let your partner know you are turned on to them by tuning into them and paying attention, not... You know, so many times I hear the couples in my office, one person will ask the other person something, not now, not later, in a minute, just a second, you know, I'll get to it all. I'll get to it, absolutely. And being caught up in naturally the, you know, the demands of their own life, but the other person starts to feel not considered, not important, they don't matter, they don't count, and it's a turn off. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is if you get turned off emotionally, you're going to turn off sexually. Absolutely. And it also, uh, you know, it can also trigger childhood wounds because if you felt you were dismissed by a parent, you were insignificant, you weren't important enough, and that's what your partner is doing to you, you're going to feel like a little helpless child, an invisible child, and nobody wants to have sex. You know, children are just basically in survival mode. They're not thinking sex. And so that can happen too. And definitely, it, if you're not emotionally connected, you don't really feel like having sex with a person. It's about feeling safe. It's about feeling that you matter. It's about feeling important and significant. The grown-up stuff that makes us want to have sex. Right. That's so well put because treating your partner like a grown-up, feeling like a grown-up makes you enjoy being together and being intimate. And, and that's one of the other things that oftentimes goes on in relationships that, you know, people start to kind of be themselves, get comfortable, let their hair down, and their behaviors become young. They start doing things that they did when they were kids at home, when they were younger, when they lived on their own, you know, cleaning up after themselves or whatnot. So the the thing to be aware of, wouldn't you agree, is the young behaviors, you want to stay young at heart, but grown up in, in action, correct? Correct. Absolutely. Be playful, but be grown up in how you treat each other. Take responsibility. Be respectful. And on that note, we're going to take a break. So stay with us. We'll be back in just a minute here at the Let's Talk Sex Show at HealthyLife.net. What about me? How to Stop Selfishness from Ruining Your Relationship. It's the brand new book from Dr. Jane Greer. With 25 years of relationship counseling, Dr. Jane Greer has heard the same questions and seen the same patterns about selfishness in relationships. From wondering if you're living with the most selfish person alive to wondering if you are the one with the selfish tendencies, Dr. Jane Greer will help you see an option to the never-ending fight. Stop the guilty pressure of selfish sex and other actions and pressure to do everything to reprove your love in the relationship. Vanessa Williams, the actress, says Dr. Jane Greer's book, What About Me, is a must-read. This book is both insightful and empowering. You, too, can end the selfish game and move from me to we. 
Find out more about Dr. Jane at drjanegreer.com. Also, find What About Me on Amazon.com, BarnesandNobles.com, Sourcebooks.com, independent bookstores, and any place else books are sold. Dr. Doris Day is a board-certified dermatologist who specializes in laser, cosmetic, and surgical dermatology on the Upper East Side in New York City. Dr. Day believes in looking your best at any age with the most conservative, personalized, and gentle approach. Day Dermatology and Aesthetics is located at 135 East 71st Street. For more information about Dr. Day's new product line, visit our website at www.myclearskin.com or by calling 212-772-0740. Find out more about Dr. Day and her products like Light and Bright Pads, Facial Silk Sunscreen, and Calming Sea Gel. That's www.myclearskin.com or 212-772-0740. Feel and look beautiful. You deserve it. That's Dr. Doris Day at 212-772-0740. You're listening to HealthyLife.net. Millions of listeners know the secret. Now you do, too. Positive talk 24 hours a day, every day. always count on when you're here at the Let's Talk Sex show. We're going to talk sex. We're going to have a great conversation and learn lots of wonderful, chock full of information things. It's always a pleasure and a delight to have you here. Thank you so much again, and we'll see you uh, in two months. You'll be back for Open and Closed Doors with me. So thank you as always. And thank you. That's it for today. Join me next week for a new episode of Shrink Wrap on Call. My guest will be actor Max Sorrentino and freelance entertainment journalist Elizabeth Durand Streisand. Stay in touch with me off the air at my Facebook page and on Twitter at Dr. Jane Greer. And thanks for listening, everyone. Remember, you can always get what you want when you're in the know. 